gentlemen, we have arrived at WRFL Lexington. The frequency is a cool 88.1 MHz with winds coming in all the way to the left. The in-flight entertainment for this journey has been provided by Radio Free Lexington, your only alternative left. For your safety and comfort, please stay tuned with your seatbelts fastened until the plane comes to a complete stop. Please check around your seat for any commercial radio trash you may have brought on board with you and deposit in the bin as you disembark from the aircraft. On behalf of RFL Airlines and the entire crew, I'd like to thank you for joining us on this trip, and we are looking forward to seeing you tuned in again soon. The following program contains views, ideas, and opinions that have been produced by the host DJ and their guests and are not reflective of the views of WRFL or its underwriters. For questions, comments, or concerns, please email programming at wrfl.fm. Hello, and welcome to WRFL Lexington. I'm Bree, the host of Lex Talk, a show designed to foster a greater sense of community in Lexington, Kentucky, by delving into some of what makes it unique and by answering some commonly asked questions about our city. Today's episode is about waste management in Lexington from recycling to yard waste. And before you decide that that's not the most intriguing topic, I have on the show today two of the most interesting and passionate about their work people that I know, Joseph Brenzel from City Environmental Services and James McCarthy, the Public Service Supervisor Senior at the Haley Pike Waste Management Facility. Thank you so much to both of you for coming on today. Thank you for having us. Joe, starting with you, would you mind uh, giving a little more in-depth introduction to your job role at the city and what you do there? Sure. So I am the environmental education coordinator for the, I'm in the division of environmental services, but we actually do outreach and education for all of the green topics within the department of environmental quality and public works. So our team, our public information and engagement team does um, outreach on all sorts of topics from recycling, right. To um, stormwater runoff, urban forestry. We do a little pedestrian, and um, bicycle safety as well. So our outreach team focuses on a lot of different areas, but specifically my area, I, I do a lot of the uh, boots on the ground when we go out to different events or different tabling events or different service events. So if we are doing like a cleanup or a tree planting event, I'm usually helping coordinate those. Uh, one thing I do that I, could, that I really enjoy is giving tours of the recycling center to classroom groups or community groups that are fourth grade and above. So that's one of my main roles. Other things include just, um, you know, reforce the bluegrass, anything that we are communicating with the public, how do we get those goals? Um, how do we get what our department's goals are out to people? So whether it's not flushing things correctly down your toilet so there's not a sanitary sewer overflow versus, hey, please pick up after your dog because it's a water quality issue. So that's a general overview. We, we have our hands in lots of mm-hmm. different pots. Yeah. And full disclosure, I've worked uh, as an intern for the city with Joe for a while and have seen him out and about working with kids and wearing um, a poop hat as he talks about picking up dog waste and generally um, engaging very effectively with the community about the things that you wouldn't typically think about when it comes to waste management. Um, and he's also given many a recycling tour. So I will ask you some questions to elucidate our recycling system a little bit later on. 
Um, but before that, I'd like to hear a bit about James. What is your role out at Haley Pike? And what is a bit of your journey to where, how you got here? Well, my job out here at Haley Pike is as the public supervisor senior, big long name for the guy that keeps everything running, is to keep, keep us with this facility within regulations of the state and federal EPA. We have the facility has an old landfill on it and we have to maintain it for another 38 years. And we have to deal with the leachate, which is the water that runs through it and comes out. And basically that's what I do on that side. And on the yard waste side, once again, keep us within our permit that we don't take in material that we're not supposed to. So we are material that leaves the facility isn't contaminated and could harm anyone or any or in the environment. And how did I get here? I am actually a came out of the private sector, worked for the same company for what read it 41 years. Uh, left Bourbon County in 1966 after graduating a year early from Paris Independent Schools and went to UC Berkeley, got my first two undergraduate degrees and my first two master's degrees, then went on to Stanford University and got a PhD in business and then later on got a PhD in history. And the job that I had at my old company was senior divisional vice president of loss prevention and new stores. So that took me all over the United States and places like we opened stores in Australia and we opened some stores actually in Japan. So pretty well-traveled. Yes, absolutely. And I remember I wanted to have you on this radio show back when I first met you because you just mentioned casually that you had two PhD degrees and spent time in Berkeley. And I guess I wondered, um, how did you end up specifically at Haley Pike uh, Waste Facility? And um, is this like, is this where you saw yourself? Did you ever always have a, a kind of interest well, in waste I, management? I've always, I was raised on a huge farm and it was 1980 acres and in Bourbon and Nicholas County. So I've always had a tie to the ground, to the earth as farmers will say, or they say the dirt. And I wanted to give back to the community for because I had a really good career, done really well. And I moved back after my father passed away. I had, was able to retire and to help my mother out, which unfortunately she didn't need no help. And I had a friend who said, you know, we have an opening in the city. And she says, I really need your expertise and in several things that you know. And I applied for the job. And because I was going to go teach and applied for several teaching jobs. And it came up and kind of fit. And I'm on my 13th year. Wow. I so, mean, I'm, I'm getting a little, I'm a little slower than I used to be at 70, but I'm still motor. Mm -hmm. What is something that both of you love about your jobs? Just to start us off on a, on a positive note, we'll start with you, Joe. Um, right now, I think the best my favorite thing is getting school groups out to the recycling center and talking to kids because you know when kids get out out of the classroom they're like just super excited not to be um just not to be in a class like just to be out and about within the community Absolutely. so getting them there getting them excited and then talking to them about recycling and just really trying to drive home 
some of the recycling right messages that we have. Mm -hmm. I've definitely seen kids get very, very excited about things that I didn't think that they would get excited about. We had the Truckapalooza event a year ago and seeing little kids next to massive trucks and seeing the the waste management people be heroes in their eyes. I just love that so much. So I agree with you there. Um, what about you, James? Mine is, is the people. I, I enjoy the interaction every day with the citizens and the employees. Waste management's got some wonderful employees. They do a, they do a difficult job and seldom complain. And it's just the idea of interacting with the, the general public. And I think at the end of the day, we're trying to do some good stuff. So you mentioned that uh, out at Haley Pike, you have a landfill that you're monitoring, um, which has actually mm -hmm. been capped now. So it's a filled up landfill. Um, would you mind going over a little bit about what that means and where Lexington's waste goes now? Okay. What that means is we have two actual fields on the property. They're next to each other. The what we call phase one is the older of the two, and it's just been kept with dirt because it was finished off prior to 1992 with all the new regulations came in. Well, after 1992, the city had a decision to make, uh, basically dig the garbage out and put a liner underneath or cap it, finish it off with CD&D, construction debris and demolition. And that's what they chose to do. And we finished off the space into the end of 2011 and it took a two-year process to get it ready to go into closure which meant that they had to go and recontour the surface uh dig out the what liner had already been put around the sides weld new liner that goes over the top of it and seal off the top put six foot of dirt over it and get that into vegetation we went into closure two years ago, fully into, no, it's been, yeah, four years ago. And we now have to sit and monitor it. And that means we have to look for any erosion, uh, any odd settlements, and we have to keep the water that comes out from under it. We have to treat it. At the moment, the neatest part of my job is operating the wetlands that cleans the water that comes out of the landfills. Yes, that's absolutely and, fascinating. I'd love you to expand on the role of the wetlands out there, environmentally okay. speaking. Environmentally speaking is the way we treat the water and get it to the correct parameters is that we have a holding basin that the leachate is pumped up in and then it comes out into two cells that are roughly two acres a piece. And we plant cattails in them. And the cattails and other vegetations that in the last few years we have been introducing in it, wetland uh, plants actually can bring down on an average thing uh, ammonia. It, we check the leachate going in and it can be as, it, in the summer, it gets up to about 18 parts per million. And by the time I get it through the wetlands, it comes out 0.001. Wow. So it basically wipes out the ammonia and other products. It helps taking care of other settlement because it runs through gravel too. So 
it basically is we're using nature, as nature intended, to clean up the water. And when it goes into the creek that runs through us, that goes into Lexington, I am very proud to say that it is probably cleaner than the water that it's going into at the time. Mm-hmm. It's because nature. But what I'm saying is, yes, we do that. And, and it sounds like... Here recently, we had a we have a family of beavers that have been building some dams in the creek, and they also are helping us because whatever we haven't caught by the time it filtrates through their little dams, it's pretty much clear when it. And I just pulled samples this morning, and they were you know they looked really well. That's excellent. I mean, if beavers are moving in, I guess it's clean enough for them to be happy there as well. well. And just to clarify, when you're talking about leachate, you're talking about um, the chemicals or whatever undesirable parts in the water that could get into our water system from the landfill, correct? I deal, I deal with two types of leachate out here at this facility. The leachate that's in that comes out of landfill is exactly what it is. It's what, when the water comes through uh, certain things like iron where it's rusting and everything and other chemicals and things leach out. So that's why we call it leachate. And it cannot go into the streams of Kentucky untreated. So we, what comes out of the two landfills goes to the wetlands and then it's purified there. Now, we also get leachate off of the uh, mulching pad, the compost pad, where the rain runs over the material that's been ground and everything. It leaches out tannins and things like that. It goes into another pond and I pump it from the pond almost two miles to the back part of the property and irrigate it on fields. And that way it never gets out into the streams either. Yeah, and all those up. nutrients from the, the compost is ending up out there fertilizing fields. Um, and, and to your listeners, do Google Earth and look up uh, the address is 4216 Hedger Lane and look for some of the summer photos that Google Earth takes and my favorite thing to say is, yes, that's where the aliens are landing because you'll see these mm-hmm. big green circles on these fields. So if you're up in an airplane too, I guess that's, that's oh, yeah. what that is. Yeah. And that's how, we, that's how we maintain the water. And the water out here is one of the major things we have to take care of. And yeah. if we do it, well, I have been here for 13 years and we have never got a violation from the state since I've been here. Mm-hmm. So that's I'm excellent. very proud of that record. So the way that I met you, James, is Joe and I were out giving a virtual tour to little kids on the compost pad that you mentioned. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just to illustrate that for the listeners, um, there's an area where the city's yard waste is taken and it's put into these massive piles that rise up on either side of you, um, almost like, I don't know, like a a moat, (laughs) you're in a moat and they have the, the walls up on either side. Um, and we were out there just talking about where the mulch comes from. Well, it's mulch, actually. Would you mind explaining a bit about that, Joe, the difference between compost and mulch and uh, what the compost pad out at Haley Pike is for? Sure. So we really like to separate out what the designation, what the designation is because um, when peop- some people have very different ideas of what composting is even though it's a very similar process, some people have very different ideas of what it is and how that can cause confusion as people start putting things into their gray carts that 
it's not appropriate. So when you put stuff, if you have city collection and you're putting yard waste or you're dropping the yard waste off at the facility, um, that is being turned into basically mulch. It's, it's being composted by, you know, shredding it, breaking it down, heating it up, allowing the, allowing everything to be broken down. So that is being then turned around and sold as mulch and compost is, um, not only can you do it at home, but when you're composting or commercial composting, usually you're using a lot of food scraps and other um, other food materials and other uh, sometimes maybe like those utensils. If you ever see like compostable utensils, like mm -hmm. that stuff will be put in. So the food scraps, just for safety reasons, has to get heated higher for longer um, and for like really hot for a really long period of time to really break down everything in order to be um, sold as compost. So what we're doing at Haley Pike is technically um, it is a compost pad, but we are doing it. We are doing mulch. So we definitely don't. And the reason we break this distinction out is because we don't want people putting the compostable plates or the um, food scraps in their gray recycling carts or their gray yard waste carts. Um, we're bringing it, we're trying to bring it there and having them dump, dump it there. Um, they really don't want that there. They really just want the yard waste and the the clippings and the leaves and the branches and stuff like that. I'm glad you clarified that because, I mean, that's a question that I had was, well, it's all organic material. Can't it all go in the gray yard waste bin um, and get taken out? But as you said, it's, there's a lot that people don't think about when it comes to different types of waste and how each of it's managed. And for the mulch, it doesn't get up to those high temperatures that we need out on the mulching pad. Yeah, James, James might have more of a specific idea on that. Yes, I was just about to ask James to talk a little bit more about that and maybe about where the mulch goes. Okay, well, Joe really laid it out really well. The thing is, is we have to heat that product up if it's going to compost and we've got food scraps in it. It has to reach to a temperature that will kill all the pathogens. That's all the evil bacteria and everything in it. And we use uh, static piles is what it's called in the industry. And the problem is, yeah, internal temperature would probably get that high, but the outer layers wouldn't. And what we would need to do as a city to be able to go to the next step, which I'm positive we're going to, is probably invest some money into a couple of digesters, which is a quicker process of doing it. It brings it to temperature quicker and it takes about 60 days for the product to be finished. Now, when your yard waste comes here, it takes almost a full year before it's ready to sell because of the piles we use. And it's ground multiple times. It's ground three times. It's first grind, bigger chunks, second grind, the particles get smaller. And then the final, finer grind is about what time they're ready to haul it out. And it's very important that we put in our linings exactly what we take because contamination is, is a very bad problem with the product we have. So remember, we take grass, branches, leaves, weeds, tree trunks, and then there's call us and we'll give you the exact dimensions because it's six foot, no bigger than three foot in diameter, but Call us, we usually can figure a way to make it work or go in the grinder. And that's basically what, we do not take soil, we do not take rock, we do not take sod because of the soil and rock that it could have on it. 
We do take stumps, but we ask you to get as much dirt and rock off of it as you can. And when it gets here, it goes in an unground pile in which in 48 hours it'll be ground up and laid into a new pile. And you, to make the mulch, you have to have so much what is called green product, which is your leaves and, and grass and, you know, anything that's green, basically. And then your brown product, well, that's your, your branches, your limbs and things like that. You have to, there's kind of like a mixture, like making a cake to make this this right. So the end product becomes a really good product. And one, you know, like I said, I got to reiterate, we, to make a good product, we have to have good material coming in. And we do a pretty good job coming across our scale. We're really good at it. Uh, one thing that we see a lot of is people want to put lumber and treat it wood and paint it wood and things in it. Right off the bat, we don't want to do that. We had an incident back in 09 that somehow another treated lumber got in it and we had to get rid of two static piles into the landfill because of a high rate of arsenic in it. Which is so tragic. I mean, it ends up so close to being able to be reused and then all has to be thrown away due to contamination. But to make compost, we have to take an, another step, like I said, and it has to be heated to a certain part to kill all the pathogens. And then the easiest way to do that would be digesters. And I'm, I'm positive we'll go that route in the near future because everybody wants to do it. I, I mean, I do it at my own house. Mm -hmm. I mean, what do you mean by a digester? A digester is actually a piece of equipment that you put it in and it heats it and it slowly moves it through. Kind of look like, like an auger that's slowly moving, pulling it through. And as you feed it, it takes it so many days, you know, to get through and about the 60th day, it comes out the other end and it's the pathogen's been killed. It's broken down correctly. It looks like wood soil. Mm -hmm. And it's the, easy, it's the most efficient way to do it. It's expensive on the front end of putting it in and the price of it. But at the end of it, you have a product you can sell different places. And currently, and I, think, I think a lot of our home gardeners, and by the way, I'm a very big advocate of everybody having a little corner. If it's no more than containers, raise you some more your vegetables and things. Because, you know, we need to know where it comes from. And we just went through a pandemic and... You know, we never know when we didn't have to supply ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that product there, if we could get to compost, it would really help. Mm -hmm. Mulch is great, don't get me wrong. But it's, that would be, the, for me, it would be the cherry on top of the cake. Yeah, mm -hmm. for everybody to have their own composting pile, you mean? For, well, for us to be doing it, for everybody else in the city to be, you know, you got your backyard, have your little composter in the back. That way, we, it, it, it's two things. We can enrich our, our flower pots. We can enrich our soils and grow better vegetables, tomatoes, and whatever you like to raise. And at the same time, we're saving open ground that that material doesn't have to be buried in. Mm -hmm. And we need to put less and less in landfills and become more green. And we reuse. Speaking of landfills, uh, you mentioned 
the the one is no longer being used out at Haley Pike. It's now just being monitored yeah. for the methane that's being produced by it, and mm -hmm. then the leachate that's coming out, and you're filtering that out there um, with the cattails and the other um, the other plants that are used in the phytoremediation. But mm -hmm. what where does the uh, the refuse and the rubbish from Lexington currently go now? Okay, it goes kind of a little process, you know, your trucks picks it up, it goes to the transfer station on Old Frankfurt Pike, and from there, it goes to the Waste Services Bluegrass Landfield in Scott County. It, all right. Now, a lot of the construction that debris and everything goes to our next door neighbor's thoroughbred landfill. But what they pick up with yours, other than, you know, the recycle goes to the recycle center, yard waste ends up coming to me. But when it's the other garbage is picked up, it goes to the transfer station from there to Georgetown. Got it. So is the city currently running Haley Pike and the other landfill center, or is that a private entity? Private. Private. Thoroughbred Landfill is actually owned by Waste Services, the Little Grass, and it's a private operation. We have nothing to do with it. Uh, the transfer station is also run by Waste Services Bluegrass, if I remember correctly, and it's a contract, and they take care of that for the city. The city actually owns the transfer station, but it's contracted out. Got it. So lots of moving parts and different mm -hmm. groups. Yeah, it gets very intelligent. I will be bluntly honest with you. Uh, I don't keep up with collection side that much. Mm -hmm. I, I try to keep up over here. Yeah, it sounds like you've got you've got your hands full over there <laughs> a lot that people maybe don't think about with waste. I mean, you put it in the bin and it leaves and you don't think about the continued environmental effects of your rubbish once it gets to whatever facility it has arrived at. You, you really don't. And for me coming from a more arid area of our nation, the Mojave Desert in Las Vegas Valley, I, I think we were a little bit more in tune with it because you don't have a lot of land you can use. There's a lot of that land you can't even dig in because of the clay has been baked so hard. It's called caliche. You have to use, literally use dynamite to blow it out. And I think we were a little bit more interested in it. And then when I moved back here after a long spell, it was like, this was a good job for me to take because it was a good education. Mm -hmm. And even at my advanced age, I still learn something every day. Yeah. Especially without him. This portion of WRFL's programming is made possible in part by Broomwagon Coffee and Bites. Located at 800 North Limestone Street, Broomwagon offers a cafe and espresso bar in addition to its full-service bike shop. For more information, you can visit broomwagonbikes.com or call 859 554-6938-WRFL thanks Broomwagon for supporting College Radio. So what is the situation with land in Kentucky? Do we have space for landfills? I remember reading once that it was now more cost effective to just use landfills than to recycle and I'll ask Joe some recycling questions soon about how that <laughs> yeah. works but um, what is your knowledge of that? My knowledge of it is I'm positive there isn't enough land to do it that, but do we really want to, do we really want to build all these landfills in a state that is one of the prettiest states that we, in the nation? 
Agreed. I mean, you know, I, I know that there's a lot of counties that they go in and they'll, you know, dig out a holler and they'll build a landfill. And, but that hollers to me is more beautiful and more useful as that than it is to fill it up with garbage. So there has to be a happy medium somewhere. Now, I can't give you any statistics on how much land there is available for that or what they're doing. I will tell you this, each year it goes past. It just becomes more and more difficult from not only a regulatory side, but from community, the community side. I just got just renewed my landfill manager and operator's license through the state, which is a very extensive test. And one of the things that this year that kind of struck in my head was from the time that you start the process to open a new landfill to you actually building it, it is a minimum of five years. Mm-hmm. Huge time they're cost. expensive. they're very expensive to build and it has to go through a public meeting and a lot of times that's where it dies because you know people just don't want it in their community yeah fair enough Mm -hmm. it's definitely playing devil's advocate before when I asked the question Um, mm -hmm. it's because I mean for a lot of people who may not be as environmentally or just exposed to the environment um, living in more suburban cutoff lifestyles it may seem like a very attractive option just to to truck your waste to not worry as much about where it goes and put it in a pile but there are lots of people that need to think about it about where it and goes all, and okay and I'm a I'm a farmer and do I really want the piece of ground next to me into a landfill you know I, when I want to try to keep that land because we raise cattle and, you know, I, it, could be, it could be grazing land, it could be productive. And then you really take it out and it's not productive for almost 100 years. Mm-hmm. By the time you finish it, the, the closure process over and everything. Yeah, there's a lot of questions as a community we need to sit back and ask ourselves. And yes, there is a cost point that comes to that recycling things could be too expensive. But what is that point? Yeah. This seems like a good segue to recycling, which is mm-hmm. Joe's area of expertise. So Joe, taking it back to basics, what can we recycle here in Lexington? Where is our recycling center? Take it away. Sure. So Lexington is a unique city because it's one of the only cities that's still operating a material recovery facility that is a regional facility on this scale. So not only does Lexington take in its own recycling, um, either through a private contractor or through our own city trucks, we're we're operating a materials recovery facility, which we call the Recycle Center, which is taking in waste, or sorry, taking in recycling from all all of the surrounding counties as well and private haulers. So if you live in Nicholasville or Georgetown or, you know, um, I'm trying to think of cities nearby, Versailles, mm-hmm. Berea, they will send their recycling to us to be processed, sorted, and then sold. So that is a unique thing for a city to be, the city of Lexington to be owning and operating because a lot of that has been privatized, especially um, the last 30 so years. The What comes into the recycling center, about 51% is from Lexington itself. The other mm-hmm. 49 is from every everybody else. 
And about 25% of that is actually waste that was supposed to go to landfill that's been contaminated into the recycling. And so one of the reasons yeah. we do a lot of outreach and education is because you know a quarter of everything that's coming in by weight is not supposed to be there or as trash or has been put in the wrong bin or um, either purposely or not. It has to be sorted out by people, like real people and makes their lives difficult. Yes, yes you, kind of, you came and did a tour with me once. Mm-hmm. We get to see, see them on the line pulling out the, the contaminants. The, um, so what we really need are things that we can, as a, as a materials recovery facility, what we can sell and we go through a bidding process. So if we can't bundle it up and sell it, we can't recycle it, right? Cause we, we have no way to, nowhere to take that material. So right now what we can recycle is bottles and jugs. So a screw top bottle, a screw top jug, anything that uh, basically held some, like a, basically a container that held usually probably a liquid, like a water bottle, Sprite bottle, milk jug, laundry detergent jug. So bottles and jugs for plastics. We, we really, um, aluminum cans and then metal cans. So your, your Coke cans and your Sprite cans and then your soup cans and your tuna cans. So your metals, that would be your aluminum and your tuna. And then, Right now, we're currently doing paper by drop-off only, but some paper is still coming in because mm-hmm. some people I wanted to ask you about the whole <laughs> paper debacle of last year and where we are um, with that now. Um, so paper is one commodity, and then cardboard is the other. So that's currently – oh, glass. I forgot glass. I was like, there's one thing I'm forgetting. So glass and then paper and cardboard. So that's the currently the list. That's a weekend and at the recycling Recycle Center – we're not actually turning in from one old product into a new product. We're basically separating it out because it all comes in one truck, all mixed together. We're using different processes, mechanical, um, to separate it out and then bundling it and putting it in a baler, making nice bales, cute, like basically giant half ton cubes of the material and then selling those and shipping them away to whatever company wants to use them. So we're not actually we're not actually making a new product at that facility. We're just collecting and passing on to another another entity that will actually do the recycling and reuse part. So, got it. And actually, actually use a bid system. It might be too much information, but we no. we actually put it out on a bid system. So we're like, hey, we have this many bales of this grade of plastic, and we see who wants to buy it, and then we'll ship it to that. Um, we'll load it in the back load in the back of a semi and then ship it out to whoever whoever gave us the best price. Do you have so pretty really consistent fluctuates. buyers at the moment? And what's the most commonly, or what's the most um, in-demand product? Um, so aluminum is really nice because Berea, Kentucky has the... Novellas. Yes, thank you. I was like, it's been a while. Has the Novellas recycling aluminum plant. And that is probably our our highest valued material and our mm-hmm. highest in demand material. We do everything we can to get as much aluminum out of that pile as we can, because every single aluminum can is, can be recycled almost hundred percent and it's valuable enough to be, it can be reused indefinitely, but also is valuable enough that we can sell to a buyer that is really, really looking for a consistent stream of aluminum. So every, we just got a new eddy current, which separates out the aluminum cans and that allows us to, We've actually increased how many we've caught, but beside um, with that new piece of equipment. So 
that's pretty exciting. And I know there's other upgrades coming as well. Mm -hmm. Actually, interestingly enough, um, I just heard the number, the colored plastic jugs. So like your milk jugs and your water detergent jugs, Mm -hmm. the price of that's actually jumped really high. It's huge, huge demands spiking. Yeah. So this is a fluctuating market and sometimes very fluctuating. Sometimes some items cost more than others and then the demand will drop out for others. Um, Why did we end up switching our paper in Lexington from being a drop off, uh, I guess, in the regular blue bins that we have um, and now being a separate drop off location? That's a great question. So we ended up having to make the call to stop taking paper because no one would take it. Like we, at the grade we were selling the paper at, there was no demand. So, um, and you can sell different grades of paper, but because it has other things mixed in, we can't get it to completely clean paper. So we'll have little bits of cardboard, little pieces of plastic, maybe even little bits of glass that are stuck in those. It's at, it has, it's sell, sold at a certain grade and we were stacking it basically in our facility. We were just piling it up because we had nowhere, no one would take it. We were like, um, we were actually giving it away for free and they still wouldn't come pick it up. Um, so we were stacking it up and we're like, all right, this is a fire hazard. We probably, we have to do something to get rid of this paper because we can't even give it away for free. So we made the switch. We said, hey, please start using these drop-off bins and stop putting your paper in your recycling bin in your blue carts. And we're able, I, I know this is a radio show, but I really wish I could show you guys the difference in color and and cleanliness of a bale of paper that has been put in to the, that's been run through the machinery on a separate day because we go pick them up and we'll run it through on a separate day. And it's basically just pure paper versus what a normal bale of paper that looks like when it comes through while we're running and sorting all the stuff out. Cause it's, you can just clearly see the difference in quality and color um, like night and day. So we can sell that. It's actually valuable paper and we can recycle it that way because the paper mills will come take it and use it. And it has, it has an value basically. So mm-hmm. we are working. I know and I'm not quite up to date um, because of COVID. I haven't been over there as much. We are, they're talking about doing, um, spending a lot of money to put in new equipments and making upgrades at the recycling center. And I know that they're looking at bringing paper back, hopefully within 2021. Bringing paper back sounds like a Backstreet Boys song or something. <laughs> yes. Yes. Ho- hopefully, hopefully in 2021, if not beginning of 2022. But don't uh, don't quote me on that. You know, there's a gotcha. lot of but a lot of variables. Maybe, maybe hope on the horizon that it yeah. ends up back <laughs> in the regular recycling stream. They're so working on it. People are very advocate, very uh, very vocal about bringing it back. Mm-hmm. And I love that people are so passionate about recycling and environmental, the environmental movement in general. Um, But sometimes that can get a little um, too intense when people engage in wish cycling. And I wondered if you could explain for us what that means. Sure, wish cycling is when you throw something in the recycling bin because you wish it was recyclable. Maybe it's a giant piece of plastic that you were like, hey, I really wish you know, I really shouldn't have, maybe I really shouldn't have bought this, or maybe it's really wasteful if I just throw this big thing away or this, um, this item away. So you throw it in the recycling because you're like, oh, maybe it'll get recycled. Like, I really wish it would be recycled. And so it's kind of like easing your own guilt to put it in the recycling bin because, oh, maybe it'll get recycled. 
where it's actually really just causing contamination, slowing down our process um, um, and ending up where it shouldn't be. And then we have to send it to the landfill anyway. So um, it's really harmful. It's something we see a lot of, but a lot of people, especially our avid recyclers, they're like, oh my goodness, I you know, really want to throw all, like they throw all their CDs in their recycling bin. They're like, yes, that's, these can be recycled somehow, but they really can't be recycled at our plant with our processes or with our, like our equipment. So it's a really, um, it makes sense when you think about it, but it actually, when in doubt, we say either check us, call 311, get on our website, tweet at us, right? And we'll tell you if it's recyclable or not. And then if you still don't know, just go ahead and throw it out because um, it'll, it's better than having it come and jam up our equipment. And maybe when you have that like guilt, when you throw it out, you don't buy that thing in the, f in the future or you try to use a reusable mm -hmm. object in the future. Yeah, so. reduce in the first place. Right. Ah, and it sucks because people's hearts are in the right place. And I've been guilty of this too. Just being like, oh, this should be recyclable in my mind. Uh, yes, so I, I want it to go in this bin, but it just causes more problems. Oh, I still throw paper. Like I still have to go get the paper I've put in my recycling back out because I forget just because yeah. I'm so used to it. And so I want it to be recycled so badly. Yeah, there's One such a the, psychological component to recycling and waste management that I hadn't thought about before doing tours with you and yes, examining it, my own behaviors of wanting to chuck everything in the recycling bin. Yes, it feels really good to recycle because you you don't have to feel guilty about that object because it's getting recycled. But um, yeah, in the long term, it ends up causing issues for us at the recycling center. Mm -hmm. And as we were talking about with James and the compost pad, um, the mulching pad, um, wish cycling exists for yard waste as well. Um, James, yes. what are some of the most common contaminants? I know you you mentioned uh, out at the mulching pad you had treated wood um, that caused a huge problem. What else do you see? The, the huge problem that we have with the yard waste is people not putting in the Lenny the correct product. They will put garbage in it and that's a big problem because we do haul a good amount of product back to the landfill because it's so contaminated, we cannot work with it. We only have one person out here that picks through what comes in and very hardworking young man. And our, like our contractor, the person who actually runs the pad grinds and everything is Red River Ranch. They're, they've been our contractor for quite some time. And one of the issues we've had ever since I've been here is the wrong products going into those. And your plastic pots that your plants come in and your hanging baskets, dump the, you know, the dirt and all that needs to go into the garbage. Uh, we've had things as metal hitches off of trucks that we've had to dig out of it. Uh, but the biggest thing is this pure old fashioned household garbage. And here's something for everybody to understand. It just takes one Lenny to contaminate the whole load of the garbage truck to where it's unusable. Because when it gets in that load, it gets compressed and it gets spread around and it's very hard to get it back out. And we now take our loads that comes off the street, goes to the transfer pad on Old Frankfurt Pike, and, and it, then it comes out here in a semi. So by the time it gets out here, it's been mixed into even more loads. And so 
is the big thing is that's the biggest garbage thing that we have. And, you know, like at the recycle center, garden hoses and chains and things, please put them in, in your Herbie to get rid of them. Because at the recycle center, a garden hose can stop production as high as two to three hours, if not longer, cleaning out the shortings, the screens. Out here, it can get into this big expensive tub grinder and lock everything up. And another interesting thing, a piece of steel about, let's say 12 inches by four inches can take at least five or six hammers off of that grinder, which they have to, you know, you got to buy the new hammers and you got to take it apart and put it together. And it's this, it does more damage than it does good. And there is a lot, we do see a lot of what, and I really like that term, the wishing. Wish cycling. I, I really love that. Thank you, Joe, for giving me that one. I really think people are trying to do the right thing a lot most of the time. But, you know, if you have a question with us, you know, call us. 311, right? You can go through 311, but you can call me directly out here at the, Two nine nine fifty. Can't remember my own number. <laughs> I better give you. I don't want. I don't want nobody to stray, so I want to give them the right one. Mm -hmm. I can pop it at the end of the show too. Yeah, and it's it's really. I would rather you call and talk to one of us here, and ask the question, and before you drive all the way out here, and I have to say, oh, man, that's not recite. We can't take that. Mm -hmm. And for everybody, the number is, of course, 859-299-5715. All right. Uh, I'll say that again at the end of the show, too. Just let them know. Is that your number or the Haley Pike number? That's that's our office number. That's the scale house number. Gotcha. And Yeah, I really, I really do want to reiterate what James said. A garden hose at the recycling center. Every spring you get garden hoses and every every fall you get Christmas lights and it, uh, those two will just really gum up the process. We, that is definitely we, we get Christmas lights in about January when everybody's taking the Christmas tree down. Remember guys, I love your Christmas trees and I really need them, but please take the ornaments and lights off of them before you ship them to me. Yeah. Just one more because, step. Yeah. It's one, please. But yeah, I, I you, anything like that, you know, something as common as a dog's leash will, it's a recycle center, I know for a fact, it'll take the, the screens down and get wrapped in the stars and it stops it. And same way out here, it, it just gets in these expensive, these big pieces of equipment and you have to go and manhandle it and get it out. Mm -hmm. The Bureau Bell's programming is made possible in part by Pearl's Restaurant. Pearl's Pizza offers wood-fired pizza, salads, and a selection of vegan options. Pearl's is located at 133 North Limestone. For more information, you can call 859-309-0321 or visit www.pearlspizzapie.com. WRFL thanks Pearl's for supporting College Radio. So, James, you mentioned uh, putting yard waste in your Lenny or versus the Herbie, and these are... I really want to talk about this. Lexington has these fun names for the waste, the yard waste bin, the recycling bin, and the regular rubbish bin. Joe, would you mind uh, giving us an overview of which one's which? Um, sure. So I'm a Lexington native, so I thought this was uh, a normal thing all cities had. 
um, growing up. The I didn't not until I moved away. Everyone's like, "What are you calling it a, a Linny for?" Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe James knows the history of these names. I'm not because I don't, I'm not sure if I know the history. But the um, the your regular trash cart is your Herbie, and that is the Herbie Kirby because it goes on your curb. And apparently, the original waste used to come up to the side of your original waste management used to come up to the side of your house and grab your carts for you or your bins for you. And so when they switched to having everyone put it on the curb, they named it Herbie, so everyone will remember Herbie goes on the, the Kirby. Um, and then from there, I think he got his friends Linny, which is yard waste, and Rosie mm-hmm. for recycling. So Rosie recycling. And Unsure why Lenny's wish, Lenny. <laughs> I really wish it was like Lenny or like with a Y or something. But yeah. Or Yanny or something. <laughs> and then, so those three names, um, I did not know that that was not a thing everyone called them. So uh, it does end up being an issue, especially with uh, our UK students and our other college students that come from other cities and they have no idea what we're talking about. I know when I talk to the public, I've tried to really, I've tried really, really hard, just like pounded into, pounded into my mind. I talk about the green trash cart and the blue recycling cart and the gray yard waste cart because um, a lot of people don't have any idea what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if you're listening to this and you're a UK student and you, you know, you've heard those terms, that is what, um, that's what we're referring to. And that's what our waste management materials are referring to. And there's even characters and mascots. Um, I have avoided it, but I've been offered the opportunity to dress up as one of the mascots. I know they have those costumes somewhere else. Why have you avoided it? What an excellent opportunity. <laughs> no. Probably be very warm in there. That does not look like a fun job. <laughs> yeah, I've seen them, the mascots, the the Herbie blue cart mascot. And then we had a big glove as well at Truckapalooza a couple years ago. And I was like, I admire whoever's in there. It's I think a very the glove is Lenny. Mm, gotcha. Well, that's good to go over because I moved here. I moved back to Lexington. I was born here, but I moved away, came back, had no idea what people were talking about with the Herbie, Lenny, and Rosie names. So it's a good little Lexington quirk to, to talk about. Joe, going back to recycling, um, I know a common question I get asked and can't always answer for people is why they have little numbers on the bottom of plastic and why those don't always actually mean that something is recyclable or not. Would you mind going over that and what Lexington can and can't accept number-wise? That's a great question. So the numbers and the little recycling symbol on the numbers um, indicate with plastic that it's made out of, not if it's recyclable or not. So if you see a recycling symbol on a, a plastic bottle or jug, usually it's either made or with a number in it. Usually it's either, it's usually made with that type of plastic and that's the indicator of um, like when we're sort, when, when you're sorting the plastic, that's where it ends up basically. We're not using the number to sort, we're using an optical scanner, but it still gets sorted out that way. And not only is it the number that's on the bottom, it do, the shape does matter. The, the thickness of the plastic does matter. So we've moved away from numbers and started saying bottles and jugs because that's really what our machine is calibrated to catch and what, um, what the companies want. So, and I can go a little bit into detail here, just because it has a recycle symbol and a number on it doesn't mean we want it. And the different numbers that we take are, if it's a bottle or jug, 
and it has a number two on it, we will take that. And if it's a bottle or a jug and it has a number one on it, we will take that and separate those out. Um, a lot of things that are mis, mis like the, the little thing you get your blueberries in when you go to the grocery store, mm -hmm. that's technically a number one plastic. And technically that is made with a different process. And that's actually too thin to be much value to the, to the company. They really, mm -hmm. we really just want those thick, thick lined blow molded plastics that are able to be turned back into resins. And it's actually those really thin number one plastics those um, can't actually be turned back into resin. Just, at least that's how I understand it. So commonly misconstrued items, solo cups, other other towns take solo cups and you know, they have a little uh, recycle symbol on the bottom. I think those are five or seven. Um, and then those little like clamshells you get at the grocery store or like in mm -hmm. food fast food takeout. Those are definitely not recyclable. We really just want anything that's shaped like a bottle or a jug. If it had a screw top lid, that is we, we, that'll be recycled we know that is recyclable because that's a great that hack is, yeah that is the best it's so complicated otherwise um, especially if you're moving from a different city because it's what's recyclable is kind of city dependent right yes it's definitely city dependent and even collection dependent so um if depending on who you have as your private hauler like if you have a different company like rumkey or republic or waste management picking up your things, they have different rules about what they accept um, too. So it's really just really dependent on where you live in Lexington. Yeah. And that's unfortunate because it creates a greater time cost for individuals who want to recycle and to recycle correctly. Um, especially if you're moving, you've moved from somewhere else or you're a student. Um, but that's a good hack that you mentioned that if it has a screw top lid on it, it's pretty much recyclable. Yeah, it's going to be made out of one, the either one, number one or number two plastic, and it'll be sturdy enough that it can be turned back into resin. So anything with a screw top lid, basically. Got it. And we'll say the number one more time. Um, if you have questions, you can call 311. Um, or is there another place that you should go for info, Joe? Um, I mean, we have social media accounts. So if you are on Twitter, or Facebook, or Instagram, it's at livegreenlex. And we will answer, we usually answer those messages within a couple hours mm -hmm. during work days, obviously, like during a nine to five day, those, those usually get answered pretty quickly. So if you, if you're a college kid and you're on social media and you'd rather hit us up on Instagram, we will answer those questions mm -hmm. and anything, I, any question that I get on that and we want to send over to James, I will, I'll happily call him. Mm -hmm. And that number that James gave was 859 Two nine nine five seven one five, or you can look up. Uh, what should you look up, James? Uh, it should be listed as Haley Pipe Waste Management Facility. Uh, you can go on the city website and go down to Yard Waste and go to Haley Pike and pull up. They've done a really good job. They explain our hours really well and what we do and do not take, and our numbers on there. If there's another question, give us a call. Gotcha. So city website as well. Mm -hmm. All right. So we got just a little bit of time left. I wanted to ask both of you, what is an area that you'd like to see Lexington grow in environmentally speaking? We've covered that a little bit, but we'll start with you, Joe, if you have something on your mind. I might be taking James here, but I think the number one thing that everyone asks me about when I'm out in the public around the community is composting. It's like, when are we going to do a citywide composting program? And when, like, how are we going to do that as a city? 
So I think that's something that Lexington can easily expand and should be and should be pushing. We should be pushing our city council members to be moving our city in that direction. So that's what I'm looking forward to is composting citywide, um, hopefully getting more composting materials and outreach and even how to do it at home materials for people and getting that out into the public and getting more people composting. So I think that. Yeah, absolutely. And there are some resources through Bluegrass Green Source and I hear that we will shortly have more composting materials on the city website for yes, CG. By the time this airs, there should at least there should be some some information up on the website mm -hmm. on our lexingtonky.gov. But our city currently does not do commercial compost pickup um, or like picking up compost from houses. So we still need to look at other options for home composting or yard yeah, waste. We'll see. Mm -hmm. Maybe they can work something out. I'm hopeful we'll fit, we'll come to find some sort of solution. Yeah, absolutely. All right, James. I cannot reiterate enough that I'm like Joe. I, I would love to see us move forward with citywide composting. And I would love to see the citizens more involved with it. I'd like to have more tours out here of not just school children, but adults. I mean, I would, I love the facility. I would like to everybody to understand how it works. And, I would, and that way, this community, when we know how the things work, we can start moving forward with other areas. And one of them is with the composting and limiting what we do end up eventually putting into a landfill. Mm -hmm. I mean, the land is precious. They don't make any more of it. So as a community, I would love to see us move forward and do a better job at what we're doing and fine tune it and make it for everything that's humanly possible to recycle, we recycle. And then on my end, everything that has come up out of the ground and things, I can run through up here and make a usable product for the community. And that would be the ultimate thing for me. Absolutely. I would love to see that. Well, thank you so much for what you both do for the community, environmentally speaking, and getting information out there, and the nitty gritty of managing our waste. Really appreciate it, and also appreciate you both coming on the show today. Thanks so much. This is fun. Yeah, it Let's was do good. It again. I also have a podcast, so I'll email you guys the podcast link as soon as it's up, if you want to send it to anybody. Oh, oh yeah, I absolutely will. <laughs> <laughs> he says yes. He says no. <laughs> no, no, I don't want my squeaky voice. No, no. <laughs> just once. He wants just the once on the radio. And <laughs> hope that it, you know. It was kind of right. like the TV thing. No, I didn't tell nobody. No, no, I'm not. That's not me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. I'm pretty well. sure no one likes hearing their own voice. I made oh I made Bree edit. Remember those videos we shot at the mm -hmm. compost bed? I made you edit them because after about. 30 minutes. I was like, all right, I can't do this. Anymore. Oh, this is absolute <laughs> hell hearing my own voice every week when I edit these. It's, <laughs> and I went th the first time I was like, should I edit out all of the ums? And then I went, no, that's, it. let's be authentic. Let's keep them in. But it is, it's rough hearing it every week, but it's oh, great excuse to talk to people about the things that they're experts in. So mm -hmm. enjoying it. Well, I would love to do it again. And Joe, I need some little feats out here. I ain't seen no little feats for a oh while. Oh my goodness. Thank you.
I know. I'm going to try to get as many groups out there as possible. They're going back to school. So I don't know if we're going to do, you know, I've got like four classrooms that want to do virtual visits. So maybe we can get them out and do real visits. I would like to see something like a spring festival in April or 1st of May. Bring a bunch of kites out and just let them play on the property a little bit. And, you know, have those groups walking over and, I want to see more interaction of the public so they can learn what actually happens here, that it's just not a big old gross landfill, that it's actually a really pretty nature preserve, really, in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I love that idea. We need to talk about that. Maybe tied into well, like a tree week or. Well, I was thinking, you know, was, you know, about the time that they do. Uh, reforest the bluegrass and all that are, you know. Oh, yeah. Really or... That's exciting. Well, still doing virtual uh -huh. reforest this year. So we'll see how it oh, happens man. next year. It's still going to be, there's going to be a couple like low key plantings for people who don't want to plant at home, but most of it's just going to be us giving out trees this year because we'll, oh. we'll go with their rules. You said Parks and Rec. I wanted to ask, I had Angela on the show last year and I asked her what Parks and Rec character she was and we just went on this massive tangent. Um, James, do you watch Parks and Rec? Yes. Okay. Ah, that's a question I should ask both of you. I just asked now for fun. Um, do you identify with either character? Because I know at least working in the office, I felt very much like I was in a Parks and Rec episode. I, I don't think I really identify with any of them except it's it's a true, it's truer than you really think when you get out here working with everybody in, in this environment. And, and you know, I'm the crazy, I am the, the crazy supervisor, so. Yeah, I love quirky yes. environmental people. <laughs> oh man, I don't know. Parks and Recs, I'm not as organized, like, so like Leslie's super organized, that's, that's not me, but I do actually like thoroughly enjoy meeting people. Mm -hmm. so maybe maybe what's the tom the indian guy tom yeah yeah <laughs> you like he kind of like just meeting people i feel like that's mm -hmm. me i like just enjoy I meeting people yeah i have a theory that sitcoms like every character makes one functional person if you like combined all of their personalities together because <laughs> they're all just caricatures so it's hard to identify with one 